This is part two of House in the Highlands. If you haven't heard part one, go back and listen to that first. We'll be here when you get back. It was almost 9 p.m., and Leah and I were supposed to meet Mr. Caddick at the house. We were about 15 minutes away. We would have preferred to meet during the day. We can get a better feel for the place during the day. But the customer insisted that the things that we were investigating tended to happen at night. And he didn't want to spend all that money only to have us come out and not see it firsthand. This is a common issue we have with customers. We can learn a lot more about a house during the day. We can get a feel for how sound travels in from outside, where sunlight falls and how the residual heat can make the home settle in particular ways. There's nothing special about the dark, about the time of day. A haunting is a haunting. It's as likely to happen on a clear sunny day as it is on a dark and stormy night. Normally we'd try to avoid the come at night so you can see it firsthand bit. But when the customer is paying five figures, hell, I'll come out at three in the morning. The Highlands, the neighborhood where we're going, it's old money, million dollar plus homes, and it's only getting more expensive. We called for a car and I texted Mr. Caddick to let him know that we were on our way. On the way, a reporter broke in on the radio. They were able to confirm that there were people in Museum Tower. Phone calls had been made to loved ones. And on one side of the building, it appears that the black glass facade had been broken somewhere around the 50th floor, about 10 floors from the top of the tower. Speculation that someone trapped above the fire line had shattered the glass in a panic attempting to get relief from the smoke. But it would only introduce more oxygen to the fire. I looked out the window. The night sky was cloudy and those clouds absorbed the lights from the city. We were traveling around the city's inner freeway loop. I could see downtown a museum tower from the window. Jesus Christ, there were people trapped up there. Leah had noticed it too. A single skinny plume of smoke, darker than the night sky, rose into the clouds. No doubt pouring from that broken window we just heard about on the radio. I don't know if my eyes were playing tricks on me, but I thought I could see yellow and orange through the black glass. And then the freeway turned and the tower was out of sight again. We found the house. It's an old part of the city. The houses here are packed in close together. If you wanted to, you could reach out your window and touch your neighbor's house. Two and three story structures from the 19th century, beautifully designed, each one a unique statement from the builder. We were closer to the Ohio River and the wind was enough to send strands of Leah's hair twirling and to send scraps of paper and other debris gliding down the street. We spotted Mr. Caddick, our customer, leaning against a car parked on the street in front of the house. The house itself was dark, all the lights off. Mr. Caddick was a big guy. He was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. 
His stance and crossed arms said a lot about him. He carried himself like a hard ass. But he was waiting for us outside, in the chilly wind, not dressed for the weather. He's afraid to go in, alone after dark. As we approached him, he spoke up. Hey guys, thanks for making the trip out here. He stayed planted against the car with his arms crossed. He was cold, I could see the goosebumps on his arms. We all introduced ourselves. Is that all you brought? He pointed to Leah's backpack in my bag. He seemed annoyed. This isn't going to be like what you've seen in the movies. He sized us up and took a second. Okay, fair enough. Would you mind showing us around? I'm sorry, y'all. I don't go in there after dark. Leah and I gave each other a look. I went ahead and came by earlier and unlocked it. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be in there after dark. Leah and I gathered our gear, and we stepped from the sidewalk onto the brick walkway to the front door. We exchanged another look now that our backs were turned. We don't want to be here after dark either. The wind shuffled leaves around our feet as we approached the porch. I looked back. Our customer stayed right where he was, leaning on the car. For the first time since we'd arrived, he uncrossed his arms to give us a reassuring wave. On the porch, Leah put her bag down and so did I. I reached for the doorknob and gave it a turn. It was locked. I tried a couple of times, pulling and pushing on the door. These old houses, the doors can be stubborn, swelling, and shrinking. Our customer could also be wrong about having left it unlocked. I turned back to where Mr. Caddick had been leaning on the car, and... He was gone. The car was still there. I looked up and down the street, and I didn't see anyone walking away. What the fuck? From behind me, I heard the doorknob rattle. A deadbolt clicking and the door creaking open. A light came on in the house and spilled out onto the porch. Standing in the doorway, looking at us, was Mr. Caddick. I was speechless. Warm light poured out from the foyer. Mr. Caddick, this new Mr. Caddick, could read what just happened on our faces. You've already seen it, haven't you? I nodded. Thank God. I was worried it wouldn't happen while you were here. What did you see? It was you. You were standing by that car back there. Leah and I turned back to where Mr. Caddick had been when we arrived, and... There he was. Arms crossed like before. I spun back around to face the door, and it was empty. Standing open. Dark inside. Pitch black. We instinctively backed away from the house. The man leaning against the car, Mr. Caddick, he shouted from the sidewalk. What happened? I shouted back that I wasn't sure. 
Holy shit. Holy shit. This is it. This one's fucking real. That wasn't a goddamn HVAC system. She stooped down on the porch and unzipped her backpack. I was frozen. This was way too close to home. Literally and figuratively. It was way too much like my old house. Whatever it was back then pretending to be my mom, coming to the door while I was home alone after school, this was the same thing. At least the same kind of thing. Leah was unloading everything, EMF reader, infrared camera. I started videoing on my phone, pointing into the house. My hands were shaking. I don't know what I expected to see, but it was just a dark screen. I turned the camera to Leah. She was assembling the equipment. She handed me an extra pack of batteries and the UV flashlight. I checked the battery on my phone. I kept the video rolling and filmed Leah while I narrated everything that we just witnessed into the mic. My voice shaking too. I finally said out loud what I was afraid of. Leah, this feels really familiar. I don't think we can trust what we see right now. Shit, you're right. Do you think we can even trust the equipment? That's not what I mean. I don't like this. This is just like what happened to my mom and sister. She stopped what she was doing and looked up at me. Her expression softened. She got it now. Okay. Okay. Right. Let's regroup. We went back to the curb where Mr. Caddick was standing. Okay, what'd you see? We explained it to him, and he nodded knowingly. A relieved smile on his face. He wasn't crazy. What did you see from back here? I didn't see any of that. I saw you react to it. I was afraid you wouldn't see anything. It usually takes a few weeks before it tries something like that. Maybe it knows what you're here for. It really gets in your head, makes you see things that aren't there, disorients you. That's the worst part. That means that we can't trust the readings on our equipment. We told Mr. Caddick that we were going to pack up our gear, but we weren't leaving. We're just going to figure out our next steps. My heart was pounding. I felt hot adrenaline beginning to course through my veins. We turned to face the house so Mr. Caddick couldn't see the panic on my face. We can't just leave. We need to do something. We're counting on this money. I don't know if it's worth the 10000 if one or both of us gets hurt. I can't say it enough. This feels exactly like what was going on at my house when I was growing up. You can't trust what you see. It makes you see things that aren't there. It makes things right in front of you invisible. You saw it. You saw it on the webcam. Hey, hey, hey. Take a deep breath. Okay. Okay. We've planned for this, right? We always knew that this could happen, and we planned for it. This isn't your run-of-the-mill things that go bump in the night. This is seriously dark shit. You're right. But we've seen it before. We're prepared this time. We know what to do. You didn't know what to do back then. 
you didn't know how to protect yourself. And now we do. So let's go over the plan. Tell it to me. Tell me everything we've brought along so that this thing can't hurt us. I took some deep breaths. She was right. We haven't run into anything that felt real in the entire course of our ghost hunting careers. We were glorified problem solvers. But this is what we've been waiting for. What made us want to do this. We're true believers. So I did what she said. Leah knows me as well as I know myself. I started rattling off everything we knew to do to protect ourselves and to ward off and destroy certain spirits. I told her about salt circles and holy water we packed, even though neither of us believed in God or demons, but... I told her every contingency plan that we've ever thought of. And she was right. It was working. It calmed me down. We were in control. We were ready for this. We can do this. Do you want me to take the bag? Sure, thanks. That's when Mr. Caddick yelled at me from the sidewalk. He said she'd already gone inside. Leah was gone, and so was the bag. I just handed over everything that we brought to protect ourselves to the ghosts that we were protecting ourselves from. All of my hesitation about going into the house disappeared. Leah was in danger. I ran inside, down the hallway, using the flashlight on my phone. A part of me expected the front door to slam behind me, all by itself. But it didn't. Past the stairwell, it was just an empty living room and kitchen. I tried the light switch. Nothing happened. I'd run impulsively into this house, but now that I was inside looking around for Leah, the gravity of the danger that I was in settled around me. Leah could be just in front of me, and the house could get in my head, and I wouldn't be able to see her. Just like we hadn't been able to see Mr. Caddick when we were on the front porch. We could be side by side right now, and both of us could think that we were completely and totally alone. I turned my body slowly, listening for the faintest sound, the first hint of danger. It was silent. I could see the trees blowing in the wind outside, but I couldn't hear it anymore. There was no sign of Leah. I tiptoed back toward the front of the house. The door still stood open, and I could see Mr. Caddick still leaning against the car, planted where he'd been all night. As I got close to the front of the house, a part of me wanted to just go back out and save myself. The house left it open for me, inviting me to walk back out to freedom. Or maybe it just wanted me to think I had the choice. Maybe it was lulling me into a false sense of security. 
Maybe it wanted me to doubt what I knew to be true. It was already in my head. I pushed through that instinct for self-preservation and I turned and shined my light up the stairs. I expected to see something staring down at me. There was nothing. On the other side of the open front door, I could see leaves blowing around in the street and limbs moving in the wind. But I still couldn't hear it. I took my first step onto the staircase. I moved slowly, the creaking of each step resonating through the house and hitting my ears like fingernails on a chalkboard, echoing a little too much. A little too loud. I reached the top and there was a hallway to my right. It was bare and empty just like the rest of the house. My phone's light showed doors on both sides of the hall. I expected to see a head poking out or a figure standing at the end of the hall, ready to come at me. But neither of those things happened. This is the first time since I entered the house that I dared to whisper her name. Leah, where are you? Immediately my phone rang, like it was responding to my whisper. My phone has been on vibrate since 2012. It doesn't ring. I looked at the screen and Leah's name was on the display. Whatever came next was going to be the house talking, not my partner. Hey, buddy. It's me. Your old ghost hunting buddy. You know. Me. Where'd she go? Where did you go? I'm right here. I'm on the phone with you. I'm not on the phone. I pulled the phone away from my ear and held it down by my side. You're fucking with my head. Maybe. What do you want? I don't know. Can we just leave? Can we just walk away? Oh, no, 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 no. Then what? I panned the light around the hallway and back down the stairs. I don't know what I was looking for. I didn't like that game. Well, your friend came back home to play. What do you mean she came back home? Well, you invited her to join our game, didn't you? You let her see me. So what do you want? I want you to come play. That kicked my self-preservation into gear and I ran back down the stairs, almost tripping out the front door. Mr. Caddick wasn't leaning against the car anymore. He was pacing around. Hey! A car pulled up. Had a little rideshare light in the window. She just walked right out of the house and got in. She wasn't herself, man. I tried talking to her. She didn't even see me. She's going to Prospect. I need you to drive me there. All right. Okay. Get in. 
Within a couple minutes, we were back on the freeway. From our vantage point, I could see the skyscraper in my window. What had been a thin column of smoke rising into the sky had become an inferno. The top several floors of the tower were burning out of control. The windows had blown out and fire leapt, crawled, and climbed up the side of the black glass skyscraper. A giant torch lit over the city. A small black pillar of smoke rising into the sky. The city faded behind us as we made our way to the edge of town. The freeway runs alongside the river here. Lights from the Indiana suburbs reflected off the dark water. A sign ahead said we were leaving the city. It would only be a couple more exits now. I gave Mr. Caddick directions to my old house. Is this it? I sat there for a long moment looking at my old house. I don't remember the happy times. Growing up there, my family, sleepovers with friends. All I remembered were those days I spent here after I lost my family. Yeah, this is it. And you think she's in there? The front door was cracked open just a little bit. The house was letting me know that I'd come to the right place. The streetlight shone on the wood door and reflected orange off the glass. But the crack in the door was pitch black darkness. Yeah, she's in there. You want me to wait for you? Do you mind? No, I don't mind. I'll be right here. I got out and stepped right up to the edge of the yard, as though that technicality would somehow keep me safe. That was one of my pet peeves. The idea that hauntings were isolated to particular pieces of property, or better yet, trapped in a specific house. As though whatever dark and ancient thing that was toying with us was required to respect our modern understanding of private property. No, it was here because it wanted to be here. The grass was overgrown. The place was thoroughly abandoned. The neighborhood association wouldn't allow it to be torn down, leaving an ugly, empty lot, but no one was willing to come close enough to mow the yard either. Everyone knew what happened here. It occurred to me that the door looked like it was cracked, but it may not be. The house could already be in my head again. I also didn't know for sure that Leah was here. For all I know, whatever convinced her to leave me behind could have told her to meet me back at the hotel. For all I knew, she thought I was the one leaving her. She could be anywhere. That thought occurred to me, but I knew better. Whatever this thing was, it knew Leah from our experiment all those years ago. When I called my mom while something else that looked like her was standing in the kitchen. It knew that Leah was on the other end of that webcam watching. It knew somehow. But Leah was right about one thing. The last time I was here, I didn't know what I was doing. I've had 10 years to think about that, to 
to think about what could have been done differently. I walked around the outside of the house first, wading through the waist-high grass. I don't know what I was looking for, but I knew that I'd know it when I saw it. I glanced at all the windows, afraid that I would see something looking out at me. And it was almost worse that I didn't. The house was built into a hill, so the basement was underground in the front, but at ground level in the back. The driveway hugged the side of the house as it made its way down the hill and then took a sharp turn into the garage. The garage where my family died. I turned on the flashlight on my phone. I went over to the keypad where you could open the garage door and I punched in the old code. We used to alternate between my birthday and my sister's birthday. No one had changed it in all those years. I punched in the code and the sound of the garage door screeching to life startled me. Whatever was in the house, if it didn't already know that I was here, it knew I was here now. I only needed to take a couple steps in to get what I'd come for. There was an extension cord hanging up right by the door. I grabbed it and backed out again. I took the cord around the front of the house. Mr. Caddick was still sitting in his car. I gave him a little wave. He didn't return the gesture. I went to the front porch and I tied one end of the extension cord around the porch railing. The house was gonna get into my head, I knew that, and I couldn't control that. But as long as I held onto this cord, I could find my way out. I just needed to find Leah, hold onto her hand so we didn't get separated, and follow the cord right back out. I took a deep breath to try and calm my nerves, just like Leah told me to. My fingers trembled as I held the cord. I took another deep breath. It wasn't working. Fuck it. I used my foot to nudge the door and it swung open with that familiar creaking that I knew by heart. Inside, it wasn't as dark as I thought it would be. I think that part was real. The curtains and blinds were gone so the streetlight shone directly into the room. It looked just like I'd left it. A handful of pieces of furniture that didn't sell were left behind. The hallway where my old bedroom was. The one where I'd had the nightmare about the old lady standing in the hall, coming in to slam the door behind her. That was to my left. It's from that direction that I heard a tiny voice say my name. I gripped the extension cord like my life depended on it because it might. I startled, jumping and turning toward the voice in one motion, and I saw Leah at the end of the hall. She was crouched down with her back against the wall. I found her. She turned her gaze from me and into where my sister's room used to be, just across the hall from mine. And that's when my sister came walking out of her old room. 
my dead sister. She walked right past Leah and looked straight at me. She looked normal, not ghostly, not dead, not decaying. She just looked normal, just like I remembered her. Everything except her smile. She smiled wide like she was happy to see me, but that smile didn't reach her eyes. Her eyes were cold and emotionless. I was frozen, and she walked toward me. And then she turned and walked out the front door. She just walked right out the fucking door. I stood there frozen in a mix of terror and confusion. Leah whispered my name again, and I turned my head slowly. Is that... She stopped herself before she finished, and I nodded my head slowly, still rigid with fear. And that's when I heard the distant sound of the garage door, downstairs and across the house. Out the front window, I heard the screech of tires, and I saw headlights moving. Mr. Caddick must have seen my sister walk out the front door and panicked. And that's when I felt the extension cord go limp in my hand. And I knew what happened. My sister walked back in with the other end of the cord. You can't just leave this in the door, silly. You're letting all the warm air out. She closed the front door and I knew we were in trouble. She turned back to face me. And then she started toward me. I tensed up, ready for whatever was about to happen. And then she walked right past me. She went over to a couch that hadn't been there when I walked in and she just plopped right down. She turned on a television, light flooding out into the dark room. She put her feet up on a coffee table that also hadn't been there. My terror turned to confusion. That was anticlimactic. It was a strange scene in front of me. Like someone was trying to create a warm, comfortable living room in this cold, dead house. And it wasn't working. I made my way over to Leah and reached out my hand. We need to go. Is that your sister? Yes, and no. What does she want? I don't know, but it's not good. We do need to go. Yeah, let's go. We went to the front door, moving slowly and deliberately. We didn't want to draw the attention of whatever was pretending to be my sister, even though I knew it was aware of our every move. We got to the door and I reached for the deadbolt. Something was wrong. The old deadbolt was the kind that you could twist with your thumb. That had been replaced with a key lock, and there was no key anywhere to be found. We're gonna need to go out the basement. The basement? It's the only other way. Where's our gear? Our countermeasures? Let's draw a salt circle and get an offense together. I was on the porch at the house in the Highlands, and I thought I was talking to you, and it tricked me into telling it 
everything that we knew about protecting ourselves from ghosts and demons, whatever. Okay. What offered to hold the bag? She looked like her blood was going to boil. It tricked you into giving it all of our defenses? I thought it was you. She rolled her eyes. We just need to get out of here, and I'm really sorry, but that means we're going to have to go out the basement. She nodded her head and looked determined. We creeped over to the basement stairs, trying again not to draw the attention of whatever was impersonating my sister. I turned the doorknob slowly and pulled the door open. I put my finger over my lips to tell Leah to stay quiet. She gave me a, do you think I'm stupid, look. Fair enough. I turned the corner and looked down into the basement. Dark except for the dim, diffused light from the windows. At the bottom of the stairs, looking directly up at me, was my mother. That same terrible smile, unnaturally wide but not reaching her eyes. She stood frozen, not moving, and neither did I. Leah, wondering why I'd stopped, poked her head around the corner and startled and jumped back away from the door. Jesus Christ, is that... I nodded. At that moment, it was like she unfroze. My mother started up the stairs directly toward me. I yelped and jumped backwards out of the doorway and into the kitchen, just like Leah had. We both moved abruptly back in the direction from which we'd come, trying to get as far away as we could. She came through the doorway and looked over at me. She walked right past us and put down a bag of groceries on the counter. Her expression was unchanged. A wide smile below dead, unfeeling eyes. We just want to go. Whatever it was impersonating my mother slowly turned its head to consider Leah for a moment. Well, I certainly don't want to keep you. It feels like it's been so long since we all sat down and just spent some time together. I stared at her for a long time and she matched my gaze. No change on her face. She didn't become impatient for a reply, not like a human would. She just waited. I had to keep reminding myself that this wasn't happening. The house was in my head. There isn't a working TV in the living room. We're seeing things that aren't there and we needed to go. But we were also afraid to move because we didn't know how this thing would respond. Something was going on here, and we were afraid of whatever was next. And then, just like that, she walked away toward the living room, where my sister was still seated on a couch that couldn't be there, watching a TV that also couldn't be there. She stopped at the threshold where the kitchen ended and the living room began. If you change your mind, we'd love to have you. The double meaning of the phrase wasn't lost on me. 
my mom walked around to where my sister was sitting and plopped down on the couch right next to her. I know that what I'm looking at isn't real. I know that it wants me to stay here for the same reason it wanted my mom and my sister to stay here. I know that it'll end with my death and with Leah's too. And even as I hold that thought in my mind, I want this scene in front of me to be real so much. I miss them so bad. I want to go back to when life was easy and when my family was here for me. When I knew that I could always come home. My mom put her feet up on the coffee table and she scooted over until she was just next to my sister. She put her arm around the back of the couch, around my sister's shoulders. And my sister leaned her head over onto my mom's arm. I felt a lump in my throat and an aching in my soul. And I allowed myself to let it in for just a moment. And then I turned to Leah. Let's go. We went down the stairs using the light from our phones to guide the way. I looked back up to see if we were being followed. We weren't. The back door was locked. The lock was wrong again, just like the one at the front door. A key lock when it should have been a thumb latch. I led Leah to the garage. It was closed even though I'd raised it with the keypad when I got the extension cord earlier. That must have been what I heard when we were upstairs, the door closing again. It should work, but when I hit the button to raise it up, nothing happened. Of course it didn't. There's no electricity. Had I even gotten the cord out of the garage or was that another mind trick? I went to look for the manual release latch on the garage door itself and it was gone. The car, the car in the garage. We could just plow through the fucking door. We left the car here 10 years ago when my uncle tried to sell it, but that's a tough sell, a car where two people died. So it's just been sitting here all these years. I spotted the keychain on top of the garage refrigerator. I told Leah to get in and hope with everything I had that it would start. By some miracle, when I turned the key, the engine turned over. And that's when it hit me. I was sitting in the last place that my real mom and my real sister had been happy and together and alive before the gas overtook them. I didn't have time to dwell on that thought because the thing that was portraying my mom and my sister appeared in the doorway. Those unnatural smiles still on their faces, but the eyes weren't dead and emotionless anymore, no. They were filled with rage. I put the car in reverse and hit the gas, and we slammed into the door. We damaged it, but it didn't give way. I pulled forward and the tires screeched as we slammed the door again. A sudden burst of light came in from outside. It was sunlight. It must be morning. We'd peeled the door back from the ground, but we still weren't through it yet. One more time, I pulled forward and slammed the car into reverse, and this time the garage door ripped apart as we careened in reverse out of the garage, off the driveway, 
and into the backyard before coming to a complete stop. The morning was bright and our eyes weren't adjusted yet. I got my bearings. We were about 10 feet off the driveway out in the tall grass, but we weren't safe yet. I saw my mom and my sister walk out of the destroyed garage and into the driveway. I put the car in gear and I hit the pedal. Earth and grass tore beneath the tires as we blew past them before they could reach the car. We got to the top of the driveway, turned onto the street and drove away from my own house. We took deep breaths, exchanging disbelieving, terrified glances. Neither of us spoke for a few minutes. We just caught our breath. I kept checking the rearview mirror, expecting to see them all of a sudden, sitting in the back seat of the car, those unnatural smiles and dead eyes. But I didn't. The sun had just come up and the sky still felt like dawn. We must have been in there all night. It didn't feel like it had been that long. And that tells me that we were probably closer than we realized to getting sucked into that alternate reality, the one the house created for us. We were out of my old neighborhood now and on the main road through Prospect and back out to the freeway. Our plane tickets and bags were still at the hotel. We had time to get a couple hours of sleep before we needed to be back at the airport. I don't really want to get on a plane today. I want to feel like I'm in control again. I don't feel in control when I'm on a plane. Do you want to drive back? I don't know. We just lost $10,000. Also, this is the first case we didn't solve. There was a long pause. Are you okay? Yeah, I think I'm okay. But maybe you're right. I could use a long drive and a couple days to decompress. We got to the freeway and got on the westbound ramp. I put Leah's address in my GPS app. Louisville to Los Angeles. Drive time 31 hours through St. Louis, Kansas City, Denver, Salt Lake, Las Vegas, and then home. My new home. And in the passenger seat, my new family. The family I chose and the family that chose me. Yeah, I think a nice long drive would be good for both of us. Up ahead, the traffic slowed down as we approached the city. I could see Museum Tower up ahead. The glass was covered in soot and looked charred at the top. But there was no more smoke. The fire was out. The car in front of me was blowing smoke from its exhaust and the smell was strong as we came to a stop behind them. We would be sitting here for a while waiting for the freeway to start moving again. Tonight on our 10 o'clock news, it's been 20 years since the mass poisoning that killed 18 high schoolers in Peachtree, Kentucky. We'll talk to local residents about how they cope with... I'm getting sleepy. 
don't you take a nap? We've got a long way ahead of us. What about you? Aren't you tired? I was tired. I was exhausted and my eyes were getting heavy. I rolled down the window to get some air, but it only made the smell of the exhaust from the car in front of us worse. I looked over to Leah, and she was already asleep. This has been House in the Highlands. House in the Highlands was written and narrated by me, Ian Epperson, with assistance from Brooke Jeanette, Bridget Howard, Brian Burkhart, and Liz Walker. Leah was played by Brooke Jeanette, Mr. Caddick was Brian Burkhart, the narrator's mother was Liz Walker, and the narrator's sister was Natalie Clement. Editing and production by Liz Walker. If you like what you've heard, give us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, Our Patreon link is in the show notes. There are some rewards already available and many, many more to come. We'll be back next month on April 13th with another slow burn spooky story. We'll see you then.